Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. I'm not the sort of person who cries very often at TV or film. You know them people who get really into TV and film and like they're watching something and they cry every single time. That's not, that's not normally me, uh, with one exception. And there is one TV show um, which makes me cry way more than anything else. Um, and it's Kitchen Nightmares USA, Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares USA. Um, if you haven't watched it, it's the best TV show on TV. It's the most wholesome TV show you can watch. Um, and it makes me cry pretty much every single time. And if you haven't watched it, and if you're here, or even if you're just not sure why, let me explain and try and justify it to you. So the general feel for the show. Um, it always starts with a restaurant out of your nightmares. Um, the food is awful. The decor looks like it's something from about 100 years ago. Um, The staff absolutely hate each other. And they especially hate, normally, it's either the head chef or the owner who's at fault, who they believe is at fault for everything. And everyone hates each other. The entire business is falling apart. And all the locals are like, yeah, don't go there. That's the worst place ever. And in comes Gordon Ramsay, this TV chef, uh, who comes in over the course of an episode or two, completely transforms it. He brings his team in and they always transform the decor to bring it nice and modern up to date. They give the chefs extra training so they know actually how to cook. They revamp the, revamp the menu so it actually looks good and it's things people want to eat. And the entire show is just this show of transformation as this failing restaurant. And it always, the shows always end with a reopening scene where they've relaunched their restaurant to the local community, where Gordon Ramsay and his team have come in and they've changed the menu, changed what is happening, and they've got loads of locals coming in. And there's always interviews of people sat there, yeah, this is the best food I've ever had. This is great. I'm going to, can't wait to come back now. I'm really excited for it. And it's, it's, honestly, it's an incredibly wholesome show of the, a restaurant that's completely failing and fa- completely falling apart to being really successful with this amazing wholesome opening scene, where, uh, the final scene of this reopening where the restaurant is back uh, working. And the ones that particularly make me cry, the ones that really get me going, are the family businesses. Because normally, like, there's something really invested in this. It's normally a family who've, like, put... There's, there's normally parents and children. They've all put all of their time and effort and money and investment into this restaurant, and it's falling apart. Normally, a mortgage is on the line, and often they're not talking to each other, like, at all. And Gordon Ramsay, um, in returning the restaurant around, is like the ultimate therapist. And he's like bringing them together, getting the people to be reunited. And always at the end, after that successful opening night, this family who at the start of the show was hating each other at loggerheads, refused to talk to each other and was stressed about what was happening. Then I like have this huge bear hug, get Gordon Ramsay involved as well. The restaurant's back on track. They can't wait for the next day of work. And they're all like loving each other and one happy family all over again. It's cliche, but it's amazing, and it makes me cry every single time. If you haven't watched it, go and watch it. It is great. Um, and I think the reason why like, it makes me cry and really captures my emotions is because that idea of things that were like people, or things that are like apart or not working, being like, brought together and working together and being reunited, it's a really emotional thing. It's something that's beautiful. It's something, there's something about us which is absolutely, like, which makes us love seeing that happen. 
And the Bible word for it, there's a biblical word, they often call that, it's called reconciliation. Things being reconciled, people being reconciled back together. And tonight, we're going to be thinking about one story of reconciliation from the Bible and thinking about the lessons we can learn from that. Um, And if you've not been here, if you haven't been here long at the evening service here in Fallowfield, what we've been doing over the last couple of weeks, uh, no, last couple of months, sorry, um, is we've been going through the story of Joseph. Joseph is a guy from the Bible. He's from the book of Genesis, which is like right at the start of the Bible. And we're thinking today about, we're thinking, we've begun through the story of Joseph on and off in our evening services. And today we're landing with a uh, story of reconciliation of Joseph being brought back into reconciliation of his brothers who previously, a few months ago, um, had been really horrible to him. Um, and it's a beautiful story in itself. It's an absolutely wonderful story of family reconciliation on the bigger scales, of the worst things that have happened to them, and yet they're still being reunited together. But what's even more beautiful about tonight's story is the way in which it reflects the reconciliation that can happen between people and God, and how the story of Joseph being reconciled to his brothers is a pattern and a picture of the reconciliation that us as people can have to God um, through Jesus. So the way this talk's going to go um, is there's going to be quite a lot of storytelling. I think you need, we need quite a lot of backstory to really capture the emotional um, weight of the reconciliation that we're going to be looking at. So I'm going to be telling about backstory for the next few minutes, and then we'll look at a couple of the Bible passages in detail, which summarise the really key bits of that reconciliation, and then I'll think of a couple of applications from it and a couple of messages that we can have coming out of it. If you already know the story of Joseph, just bear with. I'll try and bring out some of the interesting um, points from it and the key, the key things that happen, and it's always helpful to go and be reminded of these Bible stories. So what we're going to be looking at today comes from the end of the book of Genesis. It comes from about the chapters of Genesis 37 onwards. Um, I'm going to summarise most of it and then read a couple of passages in focus later. But if you want to follow along roughly of your Bible, Genesis 37 onwards is what we're going to be following along. And the story of Joseph starts with the introduction to him. He's a guy, and it starts when he's young. He was a boy with 10 older stepbrothers and one younger brother. So there was 12 of these brothers Um, And Joseph, for a variety of different reasons, he was his father's favourite. His dad absolutely loved Joseph, wasn't really that bothered about the rest of them. And Joseph um, was a bit of an arrogant and annoying teenager, and he kind of, it seemed like he revelled a little bit in being the favourite. And certainly he said a couple of times and told his brothers a little bit um, just how much better than them he was. Um, And there was one moment, and they were getting more and more annoyed at him, and then there was one moment where they eventually completely lost their temper at him. It was a family which was a farming family, and Joseph and his ten older brothers, the eleven of them, were in a field um, watching some sheep. And Joseph's ten brothers saw that as the opportunity to get rid of Joseph. They'd had enough of him being their father's favourite, they'd had enough of him being a bit annoying to them, and so they were planning to kill him, but in the end they changed their mind and instead sold him into slavery. In their minds, never to be seen again. They sold him, they threw him into a pit, and then some slave traders walked past, and they sold him to these slave traders. And in their minds, that was it, Joseph was gone. They told their dad Joseph had been killed, and they'd, then they compl- and they'd completely forgotten about what Joseph, it seemed. Joseph himself, the story of the Bible, then the story in Genesis, then follows Joseph himself. Uh, we, Joseph ended up being a slave in Egypt, 
And the stories from chapter 37 to 41 um, in Genesis is a full rags to riches story of how Joseph was blessed by God. How in Egypt, as a slave, he went through really difficult circumstances, but was always faithful to God. And God completely blessed him and turned him around. It's an amazing story. Don't have time to go into all the detail today. But if you haven't read it, go and read it. It's the story of God being so faithful to Joseph and giving him blessing after blessing. And when we pick up the story, Joseph, from being this slave boy, has actually ended up being the second most important person in the land of Egypt, behind just the pharaoh. And what is happening in Egypt at this point is that there is a famine in the land, and Joseph is in charge of stockpiling food because God's told him there was going to be this famine, and Joseph's really, really important in the land of Egypt. And that's about chapter 41. I just want to pause when we're telling the story and just reflect on how great it is that the story doesn't end there. If it was like a family, a fairy story... Um, you'd have, at this point it'd be, and Joseph lived happily ever after. He's gone through the most difficult circumstances, he's had the big character arc, and he's now the person who was wronged, and he's now in an incredible position of power with wealth and all kinds of authority. But what's beautiful about the Bible, and what's beautiful about the story, is it doesn't finish there. Joseph's not the only person who God's got a plan for. Actually, where we're going to go is we're going to go back to the brothers, to those evil brothers who had got, who in their minds had killed Joseph, had got rid of Joseph and got him out of their life, God had a plan for them as well. God doesn't just have a plan for those who are faithful or the people who, who are all nice and good and always do the right thing. God had a plan here for the bad guys in the story. He had a plan here for the brothers. And he has a plan um, for each and every single one of us. He's got a plan for everyone who's wronged him and every single person in this world. And he wants that um, people to come to him. He wants that reconciliation between Joseph and his brothers. So moving on with the telling of the story, there's this famine going on across the Middle East at this point. And the only place where there's food is in Egypt, where Joseph's in charge. So eventually, it happens that Joseph's brothers, um, they run out of food, and they realise the only thing they've got to do is go down to Egypt. And as they head down to Egypt, um, they actually end up meeting Joseph there, because Joseph's the guy who gives out the food. Joseph, at this point, is the second most important person in the land. He's dressed like an Egyptian, speaks like, speaks like an Egyptian, um, and so the, the brothers don't recognise him. But Joseph recognises them straight away. And Joseph puts a plan into action where he's going to test his brothers to see where they're at, to see where their heart's at, whether they've changed, whether they're truly sorry for what they've done, and to try and restore that relationship between Joseph and his brothers. One particularly interesting verse in, uh, passage in this, which we're going to look at briefly, is Genesis chapter 42, verses 21 to 24. It should be coming up on the screen now. Um, Genesis 42, 21 to 24. And it's at the moment where the brothers have just met Joseph for the first time. And he's trying to test them, so he's calling them spies and accusing them of trying to steal from Egypt. And Joseph says, uh, well, the, the brothers say at this point, speaking among themselves, they said, clearly we are being punished because of what we did to Joseph long ago. We saw his anguish when he pleaded for his life, but we wouldn't listen. That's why we're in this trouble. Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, Reuben? asked. But you wouldn't listen. And now we've got to answer for his blood. Of course, they didn't know that Joseph understood them because he'd been speaking to them through an interpreter. Now he turned away from them and began to weep. When he regained his composure, he spoke to them again. And then he chose Simeon from among them and had him tied up right before their eyes. 
This really fascinating little snippet reveals the hearts and how much has changed in the hearts of both Joseph and the brothers. Especially the brothers, you can see that actually, rather than having got rid of Joseph how many years ago, probably 20, 30 years at this point, and being out of their mind, it's still playing on their conscience. They're still feeling guilty. They're still feeling hurt about it. And as they were speaking to each other about it, Joseph's there listening in. He understands everything they're saying. They're speaking in their mother tongue. Joseph realises that they're actually really sorry for what they've done. They're really broken for what they've done. And Joseph himself is really emotional about it. And he takes that time out where he weeps about it um, because he wants that relationship to be restored. He wants that reconciliation to happen. What's interesting, he then doesn't, he doesn't reveal himself just then. It's not just about the brothers being sorry. Joseph also needed to see that the brothers had changed, that they weren't going to act exactly the same way when they weren't in such a situation of difficulty. When they weren't, that he wanted to see that they weren't just sorry, they weren't just remorseful, they had also changed. So the next couple of chapters um, are more narrative about the brothers coming and going and the tests that Joseph is putting on them. And eventually, um, Joseph's brothers, they go back to bring some food back to their father and the rest of their families back in um, the land of Canaan, where they're from. Uh, But eventually they run out of food again and they've got to come back to Egypt. And the condition for it was that this time they've got to bring along their youngest brother, Benjamin, who's their dad's new favourite. And as they come back together, um, Joseph gives them their food, he sells them their food and then lets them go. But as he lets them go, he sets it up so that it looks like Benjamin has stolen one of Joseph's special possessions. It's a complete setup, but Joseph then comes out with his army, chases after them, arrests them, searches their possessions, and finds their special position in Joseph's bag, which Joseph himself had planted there. He then goes and says to the brothers, all right, this is how it's going to go. The rest of you who aren't guilty, you can go free, but I'm going to arrest the one who's taking my things. I'm going to arrest Benjamin. I'm going to take him away from you, and he's going to have to become a slave. That's what Joseph says. There's a massive parallel between this, Benjamin becoming a slave, and Joseph becoming a slave way back when. And what Joseph is doing is he's testing his brothers. He's trying to see if they've changed. He's trying to see if in a very similar situation where their dad's favourite could go and become a slave, how are they going to react? What are they going to be doing in this situation? So I'm going to read in full the reaction of the brothers, um, and that's in Genesis chapter 44, verse 18 um, onwards. So again, it should be come up on the screen, and I'll read it out. Um, this is the story of what, how the brothers react, how Judah in particular reacts in this situation, and then you're going to see the beautiful story of, re- of reconciliation when Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. We're starting at verse 18 in Genesis 44. Then Judah stepped forward and said, Please, my Lord, let your servant say just one word to you. Please don't be angry with me, even though you're as powerful as Pharaoh himself. My Lord, previously you asked us, your servants, do you have a father or a brother? And we responded, yes, my Lord, we have a father who's an old man, and his youngest son is a child of his old age. His full brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him very much. And you said to us, Bring him here so I can see with my own eyes. But we said to you, My Lord, the boy cannot leave his father, for his father would die. But you told us, Unless your youngest brother comes with you, you will never see my face again. So we returned to your servant, our father, and told him what you had said. Later, when he said, Go back again and buy us more food, we replied, We can't go unless you let our youngest brother go with us. 
We'll never get to see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then my father said to us, as you know, my wife had two sons and one of them went away and never returned. Doubtless, he was torn to pieces by some wild animal. I've never seen him since. Now, if you take his brother away from me and any harm comes to him, you'll send this grieving white-haired man to his grave. And now, my Lord, I cannot go back to my father without the boy. Our father's life is bound up in the boy's life. If he sees that the boy is not with us, our father will die. We, your servants, will indeed be responsible for sending that grieving white-haired man to his grave. My Lord, I guaranteed to my father that I would take care of the boy. I told him if I don't bring him back to you, I'll bear the blame forever. So please, my Lord, let me stay here as a slave instead of the boy and let the boy return to his brothers. For how can I return to my father if the boy is not with me? I couldn't bear to see the anguish this would cause my father. Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room and he said to his attendants, out, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Then he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly the Egyptians could hear him and word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realise that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer. And he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years and there'll be neither ploughing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he's the one who's made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all Egypt. Just put yourself in, your, in those brothers' shoes just for a moment. Imagine how they're feeling right now. They're, they're seemingly in the hand of this crazy person who's set all up. They have no idea how on earth they're being accused of this crime and how it seems like the person who they least wanted to be guilty is guilty and they've got no idea what is going on. They're worried that they might not get out of their own lives and they're certainly worried that their youngest brother won't be able to go with them and they've got no idea how they're going to face their dad. They're in a state of panic and Judah steps up and says this. You can hear the emotion in what he says. You can see that he's desperate. And in an instant... From that position of desperation, that position of sadness and fear and terror, Joseph's brothers suddenly get this incredible reveal that actually it's Joseph Joseph all along and he wants to be reunited to them. That actually their situation is so, is so far from what they thought it was. That actually Joseph wants them to thrive in Egypt. That he wants them to be successful and that he's there and their, their, their brother is the most important person in the land of Egypt and the one who can pull all the strings for them. It's a complete transformation. It's a com- and this is a completely... Um, you, can't, you can't imagine... You can, it says that they were speechless and you can't imagine how their emotional reaction would have been. Um, and there's a couple of points, I guess, I want to take out, I want to think about. I want to think about the two main characters in this and think about a couple of applications from what has happened there and from their lives and how we can think and what, how it affects us. And in particular, the parallels between ourselves and our relationships with God. The key character in all of this is Joseph. 
Think about how much has happened to him, the amount of pain he's suffered over you know, the course of probably 20 years, or so, certainly a long period of time because of what his brothers did to him. The amount of time in which he was brutally treated, abused, taken advantage of, treated as like dirt by the slave traders and the people he was slaves for in Egypt, and all because of what his brothers did. Suddenly, he's got the opportunity to take his revenge. Things have changed. Joseph's now the position, person in, in power. He's now the most important person. He can do whatever he wants when those brothers turn up. And what he wants is to try and create that reconciliation. He wants to try and create a way for them to be reunited to himself and for him to be reunited with his family. It's absolutely incredible. And the obvious parallel is the parallel of us and God. The Bible teaches about ourselves and talks about sin and the way in which us as people, all people, every single one of us, have done things that ruin our relationship with God. I mean, we've done things that hurt our relationship with God and mean that we need to be reconciled back to him. That's the relationship that needs to be whole, that needs to be perfect, that needs to be beautiful, and it's broken. And similar to how in the story of Joseph, Joseph did all the work for his brothers to be reconciled. He had to, once he realised his brothers were sorry and they had changed, Joseph did all the work to reunite them, to bring them back together. Similarly, in our situation before God, God's done all the work. God's created a way for each one of us, no matter how bad, no matter how badly we've done, and no matter what we've done, to be reunited to God, to be reconciled, to be brought back to him. That's the story of the whole Bible. That's the story of why Jesus came um, to this earth, so that we can be restored, so that we can be reconciled to God. And it's an absolutely incredible and powerful thing. If you think that the story didn't end when Joseph was second in command in Egypt, the story wasn't just about Joseph. The story is about these 10 brothers. The story, the, you know, God wanted the brothers to be reconciled and restored. And similarly, God wants us. He wants you to be reconciled and restored and changed to him. He also wants us to live in the light of this. Um, it was a really good talk this morning, actually, from Tom about forgiveness and about how we should be, how the way in which we should be forgiving others and we should be forgiving other people. Um, and I'm not going to go into too much detail on that because you can listen to the recording of that and that's not the main point of this. But it, would, it is something which um, is a challenge from this passage that actually the same way that Joseph forgave and wanted to restore that relationship with his brothers, if there's people who have wronged you, if there's people who have hurt you, um, seeking that forgiveness and seeking that reconciliation to other people is really important. And something which we, if, if you feel wronged by others, um, we sh- you, sh- you should still be sim- following Joseph's example of rebuilding that relationship. So that's Joseph and the way in which he's a picture of Jesus and a picture of God. But I think one of the most, um, the person who we should, um, in many ways we relate most to in this is the person, is the other main character in this story. It's Judah. And when we read biblical stories, um, if you're anything like me, it's easy to try and put yourself in the position of the hero. Um, when I read a biblical story like this, I, I, it's easy to read it thinking, I'm Joseph. I'm the one who's been wronged. I'm the one who so much has happened to me, and I'm, out of the kindness of my heart, I am going to be really kind to other people. But actually, the real parallel with this story and the whole message of the whole Bible isn't that we're Joseph, isn't that I'm Joseph. It's that I'm Judah, and that we're Judah. And that's where the parallel comes in. And for context, Judah has, is really significant that it's Judah 
who is saying this. Throughout the whole of Genesis, Judah has been portrayed as one of the bad guys, if not the bad guy in Genesis. There was literally a whole chapter, chapter 38, uh, which Tom preached on a couple of months ago. Um, Basically, that whole chapter was about how bad Judah was. It was a story of domestic abuse, of neglect, of incest, of dishonour. It was Judah just doing one thing after another, um, which was evil. And Judah has been portrayed up to this point as being the bad guy in the story. And yet here, Judah's the one who takes the lead. He's the one who shows how changed he has been in what he says to Joseph. Two words sum up what he is feeling, I think. Um, Remorse and change. And those two words, remorse, so like being sorry, and change, changing the way you live, sums up the biblical idea of repentance, which is how we as people are reunited and reconciled to God. We already realised that him and the brothers were clearly remorseful. We saw that back in chapter 42 when they were first being tested by Joseph and they were like, this is all punishment because of what we did to Joseph all them years ago. Um, He's clearly very sorry, he's clearly very remorseful. But actually what you can see here is he has changed. I was saying there's big parallels between this and the initial story of when the brothers sold, jo- uh, sold Joseph into slavery. Here, Benjamin, the, the dad's fa- new favourite, is about to go into slavery. But the way Judah acts couldn't be more different. First time, he was like, yeah, sell him, let him go. And no, uh, seemingly no regret at the time. Here, Judah realises how much that's going to hurt his dad. He realises how much that's going to hurt other people. He thinks about Benjamin and about the whole family. And he says in verse... 33, so please, my Lord, let me stay here as a slave instead of the boy and let the boy return to his brothers. Judah's willing to put himself in the place of Benjamin because he knows that's going to actually make everyone else more happy. He's willing to sacrifice himself. That shows that Judah's attitude and his heart is so changed from way back 20 years ago. So Judah's been sorry and he's shown change. And that's the challenge for all of us in terms of our relationship with God. That relationship with God has been broken. Our relationship with God has, needs to be reconciled for every single person. And if that's something, if you feel like you've never been reconciled with God, if you feel like you've never come to and experienced that personal relationship with God yourself, like Joseph did to his brothers, God has done all the work. All, he needs to do, all God needs to do is see that you are sorry and that you're willing to change. They're willing to repent and turn away from what you've done. That's the message of the Bible. That's the message of this passage. And, it's, and I challenge you now to think about that, to think if that's you in that situation. And if you want to be reconciled to God, you can be. He wants you to be. The brothers had done so much to Joseph. They basically killed him. They put him in, maybe worse than killing him, they put him in the worst possible situation that they thought. And yet God worked through it and had a plan for them and, trans- and wanted them to be reconciled and reunited. And God wants that for every single one of us. And I want to challenge each one of us now, if you've already turned to God, if you ha- have committed to him, that actually what we did when we repent, what we do when we change and turn to God, and it's a constant cycle in our Christian life, it's a constant cycle in the way we live, um, to be doing this over and over again, it's, a li- it's, to be, it's that commitment to change. Remember, when Joseph realised that his brothers were sorry, he didn't get reunited just then. It wasn't just, oh yeah, they're sorry, great, let's come back together. The Bible teaches that actually to come to God, repentance is a, is a lifelong commitment to turning around and to living for him. God's done it all. It's not like 
how, whether he accepts us is based on um, how, what we do or how we work. No, God accepts us based on our commitment and based on us turning to him and saying sorry for what we've done. But in doing that, we commit to changing our lives. We commit our lives to living wholeheartedly for him. And Paul in Romans in the New Testament um, calls our life a living sacrifice if we've turned to God. And that's, I think, a challenge for all of us. Um, the message coming out of this, in the same way Judah showed that his life was a cha- had changed, showed that what he'd done had completely transformed. That's the commitment we need to be showing regularly. That's the commitment that we have committed to doing. And it's a challenge for us. What does it look like to be, lived, to be living a challenged life? No, not a challenge, a changed life. It's a challenge for me, um, a challenge for each one of us. Um, in coming to God, we've committed to living a changed life. And we do that with God's help. We're not perfect. We can't do that, No. Um, but it's a challenge that I want for each one of us.